I'm Heather Fleming, founder of In Purpose Educational Services and author of the book, My Black Friend Says. And I'm Delaney Ray, the coordinator of the LEAP Institute. So what do we do now, Heather? Same thing we've always done, Delaney. Keep fighting for an equitable world. This time in a podcast. Welcome to the Listen, Learn, Love podcast, where comfortable friends chat about uncomfortable topics. Let's do it. I haven't told you mm-hmm. what we're talking about today. No, you have not. Okay. Yesterday, I was a racist. Blatant racist yesterday. Wow. Tell me more. I was. And I want to tell you the story. And then I want to tell you my immediate response. And then I want to tell you my secondary response. Because I think it's very important yes. um, to share. So, like you yourself and many people, I am a member of several different groups on Facebook where we all share some sort of common interest. And one of these groups I'm in, there's a a, a woman in there, a young woman. She's probably, I don't know, 10, 15 years younger than I am, that I've kind of gotten to know because she's pretty active in the group. And she is in Texas. She lives in Texas with her husband and her five little boys, and they are a black family in Texas. Okay. And her beautiful little boys, all very close in age and all very young. I honestly cannot imagine how tired she is. Right. (laughs) (laughs) She and her husband are both very fit. And so she'll post pictures of them working out and all these things I should do, but I don't. Um, But yesterday, for the first time, to my knowledge, she posted a picture of their house. She posted a picture of them all outside in front of their house. Mm-hmm. And Heather, when I tell you this house was a mansion, this house is a mansion. It was so beautiful. And I immediately was like, man, this young family with five little kids to feed and take care of, how do they afford this house? And my brain immediately said, is her husband a rapper that I've never heard of? Oh, yeah. And then I knew what I had done. Then I knew what my brain had done. The immediate shock of, wow, I like young black man must be a rapper. My brain, my brain didn't say, I wonder if he's the top neurosurgeon in Texas. He he could be the top neurosurgeon in Texas, but that's not where my brain went. So then my initial immediate response was shame and embarrassment and guilt that I went there. My brain went there, you know, just instantly. And that shame and that guilt kicks in and wants to justify itself and deny what just happened. But this is where I think the conversation is so important is from reading your book, My Black Friend Says, and from reading Ibram X. Kendi's How to Be an Anti-Racist. I was able to pretty immediately then stop that shame and guilt And really break down why and where I had that racist thought, why and where I I went so quickly to to a thought that was so racially biased and and stereotypical. And I was able to stop and think, well, gosh, this is what media has told me all of my life. This is what movies and TV shows have depicted all of my life. And that conversation and discussion we've had about why representation really does matter when we are all just stewing in social racism. 
I'm not even immune to it. All of the the personal desires that I have to not be racist. I'm still racist. Yeah. You know, the whole time you've been speaking, I was sitting here like um, nodding my head because this is what precisely I talk to people about is the fact that, you know, we we are are raised and and initiated into a society that that is racist. And so we look at the ways even that our you know, that African-American people are presented in the in the media, et cetera. And so that ends up being an initial thought, I think, for a lot of people is, you know, something must have happened. They must be a basket, you know, he must be a basketball player. He must be a, uh, well, you know, the other thing that we don't think about, too, is the, the from the sex um, sexism perspective. What if it's her? That's so the, it's funny. It's it's funny you say that because then I actually did have that same conversation with myself. I think I do happen to know that she doesn't work outside of the home. Okay. Um, because okay. she has, you know, had these little babies so back to back. But I did think about that too. Or what if she doesn't work outside of the home, but she's um, got generational wealth? What if she inherited a huge amount of money? Like, right. Part and, of um, my business. Right. Well, that's, <laughs> that's something too. But, you know, it just is one of those things where, um, and I talk about this all the time in training is, is we have to reject those shame responses. And so I'm really glad that you did because the bigger thing is to recognize the um, racism within the thoughts. And we can't do that if we're responding to shame, if we're, you know, initiating a shame response because shame makes you feel like you have to um, defend who you are as a good person and Guilt lets you accept the fact that you can be a good person and still do bad things or still do things that, you know, aren't the best and require some correction. And so in that particular case, we that's where we have to start training our thoughts. And you're right. That is where where representation is absolutely essential because of the fact that we need counter narratives to the narratives that we've been offered. And what we've been offered in our society is that if an African-American person is successful, if they, you know, have large homes, fancy cars, et cetera, et cetera, it must be because, as you said, they're they're a rapper, they're a, a sports, you know, they play some sports where they've made it to the big league. Um, it can't be because we don't see enough examples Um it can't be because they are neurosurgeons. It can't be because they are, um, you know, lawyers or um, just any of those really higher up. My cousin, I have a cousin who is my one of my favorite cousins, and he just purchased a home and he was like, oh, I got a new house. And honey, I saw pictures of that house and I was like, oh, you lied. <laughs> you just got a new mansion. That is not a house. And same thing lives in Texas, et cetera. And um, yeah, for a second, until you said five young boys, I was like, is that my cousin? Um, <laughs> but he is a CEO, human resources CEO at a, at a um, airline. And so you get to the point where you're like, there, there are so many counter narratives, but we do. We have to reject shame. Shame is the feeling of I did something wrong excuse me, I am wrong or I am bad. Whereas 
Guilt is the feeling of I did something wrong. And so shame uh, makes it to where it's almost impossible to get past that that initial place that we need to get past, you know, which is the the defensiveness, the denial, um, et cetera, into making sure that we are actually examining the behavior. And if you look at our society, too many people, their initial response is, I'm not racist, as opposed to saying, you know, what in that behavior is something that I need to change? And until we get to the point where that that is the first place, because the ultimate goal is for us to get to a point in our society where there are enough examples, there's enough representation that the possibilities for African-Americans and for other minorities are just as big as they are for um, white Americans. OK, that's our ultimate goal. But until we reach that ultimate goal, then the next place that we need to get to is to where when we do have these racist thoughts, we accept the fact that this could possibly happen. And instead of it being a I have to defend myself, I have to prove that I'm not racist. I have to prove, you know, A, B, C, and especially I have to prove that I'm a good person, that instead it is about what in my behavior do I need to change? so that I can be as fair to this group of people as I am to that group of people. And so we have ways that our biases are instilled within us and they're instilled by, you know, the the experiences that we have, but also, and people don't think about that, the experiences that we don't have. Correct. Examples that we have, but also the examples that we don't have. And that Um, is the biggest piece that's missing when my brain immediately jumps to black man, young black man, lots of money, rapper. Like it it was this seamless jump when there were so many other steps in there that my brain crossed over. And I like the way you said, until it's something that I am being able to be immersed in seeing equality across the board, I need to be consciously more aware of my thought processes. Um, And how I got to that point, because like I said, my immediate response was shame. And I didn't just do that, but I did. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the other part that was important for me about sharing this story for anyone that happens to be listening is I also at no point, even when I thought he might, you know, be somebody, you know, famous, it wasn't these weren't negative thoughts. It's not like I thought ill of this family. It wasn't that I was thinking anything bad or negative about this family. But it was still racist. Racist yeah. Racism doesn't have to come out as meanness or, you know, I, I again, in, in this idea that it's not that I'm a bad person, but I still have racist tendencies because it is an ongoing, everyday rooting out these these ideas and biases that have just been I've just been stewed in them. I've just been cooked in them my whole life. Yeah. And, you know, it's something that um, you you just brought up a really great point. Some of these um, racist thoughts don't have to be negative. Like, for instance, um, you know, I was a, a, an educator before I, I, we began. I began doing this work. And it's just as racist for me as an educator to look at my, you know, Japanese student and assume that that kid will not have any academic struggles. Because, 
you know, oh, look, they're Asian. You know how Asian families are so um, on top of this and blah, blah, blah. It's just as racist for even me. Even though it's a positive attribute. Even yeah. though it's a positive attribute, it's just as racist for me to not see the wants and needs of my student from Japan because I made a positive assumption, you know, because in the end, now here's a student that's still not getting what they need from an academic standpoint because I choose to see them according to a stereotype as opposed to who they really are and what they need. And so the, the racist thoughts don't even always have to be negative. And one of the things that I stress to people, too, is that when we have racist thoughts like this that are a result of our biases, we, one of the things that we have to remember is that we can be biased despite what our stated and conscious beliefs are. So I could be like, I, I have a, an example for you. Um, someone contacted me about being part of our craft fair and I misgendered that person. Mm-hmm. I made an assumption. And so I looked and I said, and I was, I was, you know, inviting them in. I said, well, you know, it's a little past the deadline, but you seem like a nice lady. So I'll let you, I'll let you in. And that person was just kind enough to take the time to say, you know, it looks like, and this is why it's also really important to make sure that we state our beliefs out loud so that people feel comfortable sharing. And, and in that sharing allows us the opportunity to cor- for correcting ourselves. And so that individual contacted me and said, you know, you look like you're really um, trans friendly. And so I will let you know that I consider myself binary, you know, non-binary. And I was like, oh, I said, well, then I apologize. Let me redo my original statement. You seem like a nice person. I said, I should have said that to begin with. They were just so gracious about it that we had a great conversation that ensued. And so even though my stated belief is that I am I am trans friendly, I am open to people of all, you know, queer and LGBTQ plus experiences. I still make mistakes and missteps. And so if I were responding with shame, then my first impulse would have been to be like, "Um, well, you know what I meant, you know, and to be very, very defensive. But because of the fact that I instead tapped into the the guilt part, I was able to accept the fact that, you know what, I made a mistake. Here's how I'm going to correct that mistake. And then from this point forward, here's what I will do. And that ends up, you know, you talked about reading my book in my book, I have a whole chapter about the proper apology. And that ends up being the three steps of the proper apology. I apologize. I'm acknowledging that what I did was wrong and how it, that I understand how it was wrong. And then here's how I'm changing for the future. And I'm going to implement some real change. And so I'm not just thinking about when I deal with that person, I'm thinking about how I will respond in the future. And so here was an occasion where something that I have stated as a belief, which is a belief of mine, that I made a mistake because of my bias. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that mistake, here's how I corrected. And so I think that, you know, in you sharing your story and in me sharing my stories and in all of us continuing to share our stories, what we end up doing is teaching each other just in general how to be better and how to love people the way that they need to be loved. And for my trans and LGBTQ 
and queer friends and, and family and loved ones and, you know, supporters out there, I still remain very, very supportive, even when I make a mistake, because I realize that I'm, I still have biases that I need to work through. And until we get to a point where some of this stuff becomes so normalized and so part of our lives, we are going to continue to make a mistake. And so, yes, with, with in your example, we we this shows why representation is so very, very important. I wanted to share this story because I think the other thing we need to do, again, that you bring up in your book, My Best Friend Says, and that Ibram X. Kendi brings up in his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, is we need to break the stigma of seeing racist as something that only really bad people intentionally do. We do. We absolutely we need do to start to recognize within ourselves when and how and where we are racist and face it with the love and the compassion of being the good people that we want to be yeah. as opposed to the denial and the shame and the, you know, all of the negative things we talked about earlier that, that, that can jumpstart, you know, I'm not racist. Yeah. I didn't mean that. Yeah. According to Dr. Michael Brazel, there are um, four when we look at, at diversity conflict and diversity conflict is based upon oppression. There's four different types of um, oppression that we look at. And so I what I'm trying to tell people is that, you know, the good and bad binary only works for the intentional types of racism. And so there's two intentional types of race of racism one is the the blatant type okay so that is the one that you know is like the holocaust or you know just the most egregious types um kkk and and some of these organizations white supremacist organizations yes that that is bad that is bad because you're intending to cause harm to other groups. And then the second type ends up being the, the covert or the hidden oppression. And that type of oppression is where, even though it is um, intentional, it's covert. And it's covert because of society and how society um, pressures you, um, et cetera. And so, okay, well, I can't be blatant about the fact that I don't give home loans to black people easily. So what I'll do is I'll hide behind rules and regulations, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. That is still bad. That's bad. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The problem is, is that, and I tell people all the time, most of the racism that I will experience will not be from bad people that are intending to do it. And that's where we have to move away from the um, good and bad binary, because what happens is that then when you try to address those two types, that unintentional, those two types of racism, there are people that when as soon as you say racism, they think of these other two types, which are definitely bad. And they're trying to defend themselves against being seen as a bad person. But, Correct. you know, when we have reasonable oppression is where. Um, you have people that it, it's parts of our society where it's been racist all along the way. 
And we've just mm-hmm. we've grown accustomed to it. And it's, so it's stuff like, you know, naming schools after Confederate generals mm-hmm. and having African-Americans um, attempt to achieve success in this school named after a Confederate general who fought to ca- keep um, our people enslaved. It is, you know, continuing to have vestiges of an old system that was created to be racist. When we look at many aspects of our criminal justice system, it was created to produce inequity. Parts of our, when we look at even our educational system, to have an entire staff, a school that in the entire staff is um, white. So all of the teachers, all the administrators, everyone that's making decisions in that school and educating the students is white, that's reasonable oppression. No one sees a problem with that, but it's problematic. It's racist. So we just, but it's not because people are intending to be racist. There could be a lot of factors in there, um, that, but we still need to fix it. And then the last type, of course, is the, the unconscious oppression where people uh, do stuff and don't even realize that it's racist because they have unexamined bias. And so they commit microaggressions that they may not even be aware of microaggressions or they may not even be aware that it's racist. And again, it's still good people. They're just doing doing a bad thing, but they're doing a bad thing because partially because we have been brought up into a society that is okay with it. It's fine with it, you know? And we have to face it. We have to face the fact that racism is there and it's prevalent and it's it's just everywhere in order to give ourselves permission to to seek out our biases in order to make them examined as opposed to, you know, unexamined, which is I'm hoping where I got to yesterday with my internal journey. You did. And then you made an even further stand by saying, you know what, I want to share this so that because that's the next thing we have to do, you know, like I and I tell parents and when I'm talking to parents about, you know, how to raise anti-racist, part of their job is to be transparent with their children because your your kids can't see your behaviors and they're paying attention to that. They're paying attention to everything that you do. So they can't see some of these behaviors and then not see you going through the process of examining those behaviors. So they need the they need the example of you doing good stuff. But then they also need the example of what you do when you do something that's not so good. And so, you know, I appreciate you really sharing it. I shared my experience because in the end, hey, I've done a lot of research. I do this work, I talk to people all the time, and I still make mistakes. And so for people whose job, this is literally my job, day to day, I'm immersed in this work. So how do we expect people who aren't immersed in this work, but are trying to not make mistakes? And so I tell people a lot that really, the work of anti-racism is in the trying, it's not in the perfection. You're not is as long as you're trying to be an anti-racist, as long as you are trying to be uh, an LGBTQ advocate, as long as you are trying to be 
you know, uh, an advocate for people of different religions and other experiences, you're going to mess up. And in that messing up is what you do in the next steps that become the most important. And so I think you demonstrated like what it is that we need to do. We need to take a minute, pause, really realize, oh, wow, this is where my mind went. How do I fix that? Start coming up with some different mental models and then Mm -hmm. also be willing Mm -hmm. to share that to help others to become better as well. And if it's a situation where you can apologize, like, you know, in my situation, I'm I was having direct conversation with her so I can apologize. Excuse Mm -hmm. me. Them. See, I made the mistake there again. Um, Mm -hmm. Them. I can apologize and say, hey, yeah, I messed up. I am so sorry. Let me go back and rewind so I can try to, you know, do a a little do over. And then after the do over, here's what I'm going to do next. And it's in the next. So since then, in conversations with them, I feel like I've um, gotten it right. This work is all about trying and doing and learning and correcting, you know, and, and reflecting and analyzing you have to be able to do all of that openly. It requires a certain amount of maturity and emotional maturity as well as social skill that some people don't have. And we, you know, it's it's a shame, but it's something that needs to be developed. There are characteristics that come with being anti-racist is one of them is an immeasurable or well of appreciation for others, regardless of their background, a a deep fat, you know, a deep amount of uh, empathy. You have to have empathy, Mm -hmm. but then also the ability to, to reflect. And some people don't have Mm -hmm. that emotional ability to be able to reflect so that they can do Mm -hmm. better for next time, because that that's the ultimate goal. Well, and I think that's why I, why I asked you to allow me to tell you my story today is that fortunately for the people involved, my, my racism was, was internal thoughts. So right. I could have pretended it never happened. Mm-hmm. But I have. think it, it's good for people to hear me working with you, doing this work, doing this podcast, being involved in this anti-racism. Being able to say, wow, I am racist. Yeah. Here's the problem. You know, we're thinking about and that that ends up being the ultimate level of anti-racism that we want to get people to. There are there are lots of people that do really, really well. If you say, you know, hey, did you think about how this was, you know, maybe a little racist? They do well on that. Okay. You have other people that even though they state that they're trying to do this work, whenever you tell them, hey, this behavior that you just displayed was, you know, hurtful, that they don't do well with that. And so we work with those people on the inside, you know, as far as our work is concerned. Um, But in the end, where we're ultimately trying to get people to is to have those internal conversations even if they're not out loud. Do you Mm. see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. That's where the change happens. 
you're right. You could have gone on with your day and never made a second thought about that. But you chose to do some internal work, even when there was no one there to correct you, to judge you, to say, oh, you really need to do that. Well, I can give you one guarantee, and that is that I will mess up again. Yeah. Whether it's internal or external, I am still a work in progress. All of us should. So thankful to know how and where now to seek out the right information and better information to replace faulty thoughts and biases that have been allowed to grow um, inside of me. Yep. That's what, that's what all of us need to do. Need to be able to, to do that internal correction and to just keep going because that's the other part, you know? Um, how many times have we been in groups where people are like, well, this is the reason why I don't do A, B, and C. Well, you know, if one king is going to make you quit, how dedicated were you really, you know, how deep and firm in your beliefs were you really to begin with? Well, so it's interesting you say that because in those initial moments when I caught myself and, and called myself out on what had just happened, and I'm talking in a matter of just seconds, all of these thoughts, you know, and again, it goes back to that shame. Not only did I have the desire to pretend it, I hadn't had that thought or to justify it, but then I also had in the same moment this thought of, I can't do this work. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a mess. I'm a mess. I'm a racist. I can't do this work. But no. that's important not to just, well, I give up then. Because that doesn't help. That wouldn't help anybody. It wouldn't help me. It wouldn't help you. It wouldn't help anybody listening to to us or learning from us. It's just nobody would be helped by me throwing in the towel and just saying, well, I'm done. And the irony in that moment of that being your initial thought is that even having that moment is proof that you should be doing this work. Thanks for listening to this episode. You can support us on Patreon by looking for the Listen, Learn, Love podcast or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at InPurposeES. That is I-N-PurposeES. You can also follow us on Twitter at InPurposeEA or visit our website at www.InPurposeEA.com. Heather, this was great. Do you want to do it again next week? I sure do, Delaney. Awesome. Talk to you then. Bye.